Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Wisp Sports Radio. The voice of women in sport. Hello and welcome to the Wisp Sports Desk. This is episode 47 of season two. Gillen, a reporter with Inside the Games, and I'm with my co-host Chris Stafford. So it's been a pretty momentous year really for women's sport, hasn't it Chris? And I think we had some fears maybe that we wouldn't have a lot of news to talk about in women's sport, but I think that's kind of proven us wrong, hasn't it? We've got a lot of stories today and we've had luckily a lot of stories all year. Yeah, it's been interesting, isn't it? As you say, like, you know, when we were sort of pre-COVID, we thought everything was going to be normal. It's going to be an Olympic year, so we'd have lots to talk about. Then COVID hit and everything came to such a standstill and we were scratching our heads thinking, okay, where are we going to get the stories from? So we started talking to some athletes to hear about what they were doing during this period to adjust to, you know, a very different competition schedule, maybe no competitions at all. But then as the year has rolled out uh, over inside the games there on your day job, you've continued to find stories from all over the world. And, And now as we've come through, I think through the fall, through the autumn and to where we are now in December, the stories just keep coming. You keep finding them. It's been it's been extraordinary period, I think, for women's sports, isn't it? Because we haven't lost the momentum. I don't think we've lost the momentum, have we? I don't think so. I think um, obviously that was probably the concern, but I feel like there's been a lot of women's sport that has been able to come back, and obviously we're not we haven't quite got spectators back yet. So maybe that will be another thing to look at when spectators come back. Will we be getting the same crowds as we was we were post um, pre pandemic? But I think um, yeah, so far I, I don't think it's been. Um, kind of as detrimental for women's sport as a lot of people feared so that's been really positive and yeah like you said there's always been stories you know that even though sport has stopped there's always been kind of sports governance stories or financial stories and of course the olympics have been um you know they're still scheduled to take place next year and it's looking more and more positive as we've you know got more and more positive news about vaccines and um kind of how you know, learning how each country is dealing with the pandemic. Um, So hopefully, yeah, we'll be able to be, well, be watching an Olympics next year. Yeah, let's hope so. Um, You know, it bodes well right now. Um, Actually, that leads us on to our first story because we, later on in the show, I should tell everybody what we're planning because uh, we we were hoping to get a live guest, but that didn't work this week. So uh, not to be outdone, we're going to revisit an interview that, uh, ice hockey coach Shannon Miller did on her Hockey Talk show a couple of years ago. It was actually November 2018 with the Team USA uh, defender Casey Bellamy. Now, Casey, we found out on that show, is also a published poet. And watching her tweets recently, she talks about all kinds of things. Her brother's a musician and and she continues to write poetry. Um, so she has a very varied life. And I thought it would be an interesting one to revisit because, you know, with podcasting, that podcasts have a very long tail, Nancy. Very long tail, right? It, you know, so, so, you know, would they get moved down the, the stack... Um, and unless you go to the website, you might not realize, you know, these stories exist. So you can always do that at wisports.com for any show that you like. You'll find a back catalog right there if you can't find it on your podcast player. So um, do do check these out. You know, if you if ice hockey is your 
um, sport of choice, for example, you go to Hockey Talk on at Wisports.com and you'll find all of those episodes uh, with Coach Shannon Miller. So that's the one we're going to revisit a little bit later on in the show. But as I said, coming back to the news this week, we've got a stack of it that you've rounded up <laughs> as ever. You're great at this, Nancy. Um, but it begins, uh, as we said, with Olympic news. Yeah, so we've, um, I was just mentioning Tokyo there, but looking ahead um, past Tokyo, the the next games will be in 2024 in Paris. Um, And the International Olympic Committee met this week to um, approve the final programme for those games. So there's been, the suggested sports have always been kind of, there's always been, we've always known what, what new sports are going to be at those games, but they were just approved. Um, and then every international federation who was already approved onto the games had a chance to um, request for new disciplines or new events uh, to be put on the programme. And then the IOC either approved or disapproved those. Um, so in fact, I think it was something like 41 events were asked to be added to the games. So that's not sports, that's kind of separate events within each sport um, but they were all actually rejected because um, the IOC are planning on really cutting down athlete numbers for Paris so um, there's going to be 10,500 athletes in comparison to the 11,091 competitors that are going to be at Tokyo um, so they're reducing numbers but then they've also made sure that there is an exact 50-50 quota for men and women so we've for Tokyo there is almost a split so it's 48.8 percent female participation so it is basically there already but um, i was going to ask you about that because i thought it was there already i mean they've you know they've made news of it here uh, for paris but i thought that's what they were boasting about that they had achieved that 50 50 parity for tokyo nancy no earlier this year yeah i mean and they have and i think um 48.8 percent is essentially i suppose you could say it is I mean, you'd have to be quite picky, I think, to complain about the 1.2% um, that of extra male participation. But I think they wanted it to get it bang on 50-50. Um, so they've been kind of playing with all the events. Um, so they've got, you know, they've they've got more mixed events coming in. Um, and then boxing, which is probably one of the sports which was least balanced. Um, so... At Tokyo, so the amount of weight classes in women's boxing has gone up and up. So um, I think there were only three at Rio 2016 or at least at London. Um, But there's going to be five women's boxing weight classes at Tokyo. And then they've increased that to six for Paris and then reduced one of the men's from eight to seven. So um, and that is going to be a 50-50 split, I think, because of the number of um, athletes participating in each weight class. They are going to have a 50-50 split of, of boxing. So that has been a sport that has been, I think, not equal at all. Um, I think women's boxing was only added to um, the Olympic programme, I think, for London 2012, which is so recent. Um, so that I think to get that up to 50-50 is really good. Um, so, yeah, well, like you said, it, this is not necessarily something new and the IOC have always um, kind of said, yeah, we've we've reached 50-50, you know, reached equality within sport. But now this is, you know, no one can disprove this. This is now exactly 50-50. Yeah, that's great. I mean, when you think, you know, it wasn't that long ago, and I know over here there was a survey done of NCAA athletes uh, I can't remember the date, but, you know, it's not that far in the distant past. And it was only one in 26 athletes were women. And I think it's down to one in three now. Mm. You know, I mean, the ratio is increasing exponentially. So it was only a matter of of time. And I'm glad they've solidified that because now they've set the new bar. They can't go back, can they? I mean, they really can't. Yeah, exactly. That's. I think it will have to stay like this. And they've been almost quite pedantic I think in what they've accepted onto the Olympic program because of it so I think from now um, they've got quite strict rules so if you are applying either to be a new sport or a new or have a new event included in, in the program you have to make sure that it promotes gender equality so I think because yeah they've got those rules in place like that won't that won't change now 
Um, so for those that don't know what new sports are going to be added onto Paris, um, it's uh, skateboarding, sport climbing and surfing, which are all going to be at Tokyo, but provisional sports. So they're going to be official sports in Paris. And then break dancing as well, which has, um, it's something, yeah, that we people we've known has happened but i think because it's been approved it has uh made the kind of mainstream as it were um the mainstream news over the past few days and yeah i mean the isc are really kind of gunning for to make the games more kind of urban um to try and make it appeal to young people more um i mean i don't know i don't i think maybe i'm a bit too old to fall into the isc's um, what they categorise as a young person, but I mean, I don't know anyone that break dances or what is break dancing. So, but I'm sure you know. I'm sure it would. It's an Olymp. You know, any sport at the Olympic is a is a great watch. So, I'm sure they've made the right decision there. But also, so it seems to me, Nancy, that this should be a sideshow. You know, the dancing and there's other forms of dancing that have tried to get into the games, haven't they? And those sort of what I would call more entertaining. I know sport is entertaining, but more sort of the entertaining, the dancing, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, it's a fine line, I know, but it just seems to me that break dancing should be one of the entertainment fixtures and maybe a permanent fixture, but it doesn't seem to me like a a sport it's dancing is dancing a sport or other dance forms of dancing a sport is tap dancing a sport i yeah i mean it's a definitely a debate to be had and i'm not sure how the scoring works for it i suppose maybe it works in the same as as events like figure skating where it's judging um judges give scores but yeah it's interesting you said that because um gymnastics applied to have parkour which is like uh like free running like kind of running around and jumping off buildings um so they applied to have that on the program as well and it was rejected but it's going to be part of the games as like a like a youth kind of there's like a youth like engagement plan and it's going to be part of that so yeah maybe they could have included break dancing within that engagement plan um i don't know i'm with you that 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 seems a natural home for it but what do we know maybe we're just getting too old for the keep up with the olympic movement maybe we are i don't I, i think they're really aiming for like young kind of teenagers um who maybe are looking for something a bit more dynamic. So, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it's probably going to end up being a great event. But um, yeah, that did I think that did raise some eyebrows um, when that was announced. Yeah, we'll talk about a younger audience. Look at uh, moguls and and skateboarding and and mm. those kind of sports that I you know really appeal to the to the younger athlete. Um, but dancing, okay. We'll leave that for another day. Maybe get somebody on from the sport to enlighten us. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know much about it at all, but I can have a look. I don't really know what counts as a break dancing athlete, but I'm sure we can find someone. We'll find somebody. All right, we'll plan on that for the new year. Uh, okay, coming back to something which which never leaves our headlines these days because any gender or equality or issue relating to sex and athletes um, just seems to be an ongoing conversation. There's a lot that we still have to learn about this, but you've got a new story uh, that you ran on inside the games there, but the Human Rights Watch jumping in here on the debate. Yeah, so um, Human Rights Watch released a um, report last week on sex testing of uh, female athletes. Um, So they released the report and they also held it alongside a panel discussion as well. Um, And the panellists were all quite... um, They were all either involved in... um, the formation of the report or they um you know there was michael van gelderen from the office of the united nations high commissioner for human rights um and then um agnes Ihambo, who is a senior women's rights researcher at human rights watch um and then there was also an athlete who has been affected by sex testing um who's francine neon saba um who's from burundi and she's an olympic 800 meters silver medalist who finished behind um casa semenya who 
Um, I think when you talk about sex testing of female athletes, Semenya is the first one that comes to mind. Um, she is the most high profile and, um, you know, her story is, is kind of being shared a lot and she is currently going through the process of trying to be able to compete without um, taking testosterone reducing medication. Um, so for anyone that isn't quite sure what sex testing is, is um, it's basically world athletics have a certain level of testosterone um, that they deem is um, acceptable for a female athlete to have to compete. So if this um, a female athlete has a higher level of testosterone than this, even if it's naturally occurring, um, they deem it to be an unfair advantage and they say you can't compete unless you take uh, testosterone reducing medication. Um, and this has been quite controversial in itself. Um, but World Athletics say that it makes the field fairer. So it just that's how essentially they define gender um, by the levels of testosterone so that they want to do it to make it fair. Um, but this Human Rights Watch report essentially found that because of the sex testing regulations, um, a lot of women are kind of having their privacy invaded. So they're having to have um, kind of their you know, genitalia checked um, and undergoing really invasive inspections um, and ask really invasive questions. Um, it's found that they've had to sometimes have surgery and they're not told what kind of surgery they're having. They're just told they're having an injection and actually they have um, sex organs removed. Um, and if they don't kind of go for one of these procedures or they don't take medication, then they're not able to compete at all, which means that um, their livelihood is ruined a lot of the time. Um, so it's it. this was kind of a really... Um, I think quite revealing panel and report because it did kind of show the negative impacts of the sex testing regulations on the athletes themselves. Um, and the point of kind of the fairness of, you know, ensuring that women's sport is fair was raised and kind of the, the people on the panel said it is on that fair play argument is understandable, but then it doesn't mean that human rights violations should be acceptable so if you do allow um, a woman with naturally high testosterone to compete, the, her opponents don't lose any human rights. They might say it's unfair, but they don't. there's no human rights loss there at all. But then because you've got that rule in place, they're actually the, the human rights of the women that are being omitted from sport because of it are being violated quite badly. So in that sense it's not really, you know, the regulations don't really make sense. And you kind of the ultimate is you've got to ensure that everyone's human rights are being respected. Um, and that human rights shouldn't be violated as soon as you enter the athletic field. Um, and this is something that I think that is going to be, um, I think this is a world athletics regulation and rule um this isn't something that the ioc has kind of approved necessarily and they are currently um reassessing their human rights and potentially might introduce something to maybe stop this from happening or just make kind of a you know a blanket approach to this for all international federations um so it'd be interesting i think to see what happens from from then but yeah this i think it is really worth reading this report if um it can just be found on the human rights watch um website but it's very revealing i think and um it does make you think you know how badly kind of the women that are you know do have to go through this sex testing how badly it can affect their lives and yeah maybe that the policy policies should be kind of there should be a rethink of it i think Yes, I yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I have not read that report, but I will now that you've said that. Um, well, we're going to move on swiftly here because we've got a few more stories to get to, and and that is uh, from golf, a, a new female golf president. Yeah, so this is um, kind of unexpected. I don't think many people um, kind of saw this coming. Um, but yesterday, last week, even I was talking on the podcast about how there's only two female presidents for international federations in the whole Olympic movement, which is kind of awful. Um, and it also meant that it was affecting governance a bit because, um, the triathlon president Marisol Casado has been kind of in power for too long, but then you don't want her to go because she's one of the only women in power. So, um, this is, 
great news that we've seen Annika Sorenstam, um, who is Swedish. She is a former player herself. Uh, she won 10 uh, majors during her career. So, you know, a really prolific female golfer. Um, and she's been elected the new president of the International Golf Federation. So Peter Dawson has stepped down from that role after spending 10 years in the in the presidential um, position. So, um, you know, that's I think it's good that he's gone um, because he's decided he didn't want to stand for re-election. Um, so, yeah, Soren Starm has gone into his place. And, yeah, this is really brilliant. I think it's um, interesting because golf maybe has had quite some it has you know in certain areas a lot of old-fashioned attitudes to women it's maybe not a sport that you necessarily would think would be led by a woman so I'm really interested to see Mm -hmm. if that kind of perception of golf or even the attitudes within golf themselves change because of her appointment so um yeah I'm really yeah that's really good news um and yeah. kind of any, you know, any female international federation president is is a positive. So it's that's good, good. That number yeah. is increasing. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really good news. As you say, that's an old boys club golf. Well, it was perceived mm. to be. So this, this is really good news. You know, normally we don't <clears throat> report on men's sport or what's happening in the world of male sport. But I do have to mention, since you brought up golf there, that this, year, this week um, we heard the passing of Peter Alice, who is a commentator, golf commentator. And I have to say, I used to love listening to his golf commentary. He was just one of those masters of broadcasting. You know, he just had, you know, he just always hit that sweet spot when it came to commentating on the sport. Did, did you did you watch him? Nancy? No, I, I've never watched him, but I did see when he did die that um, the kind of outpouring, I think, of... Um, you know, really positive memories of, of him mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. social media. I did see that, but I, I didn't have the chance to listen to him, no. But. If you do, you know, I'm sure there's something on YouTube. Just to just to hear, you know, the tone of his delivery, the, you know, rather like Richie Benno, the Australian commentator who did the same for cricket, um, he that that both of those that both of them just had this wonderful delivery and just brought the sport to you know to your living room to your sofa and even if you weren't a great fan of that sport and I can't say that I ever played golf well I had a go but can't say I played golf much but it you know as a sports lover you just enjoy the whole story that he brought that to just create this lovely atmosphere and uh, you really got in there with him. So, you know, rest in peace, Peter. You were a great uh, golfer and broadcaster. Um, All right, let's move on swiftly to tennis. Yeah, so we've got two stories from tennis uh, this week. Um, And the first is that the Women's Tennis Association has undergone a rebrand. Um, which, yeah, I'm like, I'm really liking the look of. Uh, there's a lot of purple, um, which is my favourite colour, so I like ah. it. Yeah, um, I remember yeah, and that. It's... <laughs> I'm going to give you a new nickname now. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a rebrand of the logo, which is the first time the logo has been redesigned in ten years, um, and it features a female um, player uh, carrying out a serve. Um, and then there's also launched a marketing campaign at the same time. So it's called uh, WTA for the game. Um, and it's kind of, I think, essentially going to share the stories of female tennis players on social media and across tournament material and um, advertising and so on to try and get, um, well, anyone really engaged with the stories of, of female tennis players. Um, so, yeah, it looks really cool i really like it it's very modern very modern um, mm-hmm. yeah just it looks good um and then they've also as well announced a simplified numerical naming system for tournaments um so this is i think kind of brought it in line with the association of tennis professionals so there's consistency across the whole of professional tennis mm-hmm. um so that means that the former Premier Mandatory and Premier 5 tournaments are now WA WTA 1000 uh, WTA 500 uh, is the new name for the Premier 700 tournaments. Uh, WTA 250 instead of international, and then WTA 125 instead of the 125K series. 
Um, so this doesn't really change rankings or prize money. It just, I think, essentially kind of brings a uniformity into tennis. Um, and then the second story is about the um, Women's Tennis Association Player of the Year Award. So I think tennis is probably one of the sports this year that has actually managed to get a fair bit of competition in. Um, it was affected somewhat but they've managed obviously the Australian Open was at the start of the year before the pandemic and then we've managed to have the US Open and the French Open as well um Wimbledon couldn't happen unfortunately but I think compared to a lot of sports there's been a fair bit of tennis this year so um there's quite a few big names up um for awards and two first-time Grand Slam winners so Sophia Kennan, the American player, uh, she was the winner of the 2020 Australian Open. So she's been nominated. And then Iga Swiatek, um, she won the French Open at 19 years old. So two very young um, tennis players, really kind of, you know, up and coming tennis players there. Um, and then the other nominees are Victoria Azarenka and Ariana Sabalenka from Belarus, um, Simona Halep of Romania and Naomi Osaka, who won the US Open um, of Japan as well. So, uh, yeah, really good lineup of names there. Um, yeah. And then Swiatek has also been nominated for the most improved player of the year. Uh, she started the season at 59th um, in the world rankings and is now in the top 20s so yeah it's been a really meteoric rise for her this year um but yeah it's been really great i think to watch tennis this year but i suppose partly because of the shortage of other sport but then also there's been a lot of really good kind of young female talents and it's been great to see a soccer win a u.s open um yeah some really great stories in there so yeah really good to see who wins that but i think they all deserve it really yeah they certainly do well in the interest of time because i know you've got a stack of stories this week we're going to save some for next week because some do need that in-depth analysis from you nancy um and we're going to skip to the uh, u.s soccer story that really is an important story for soccer for women around the world, but obviously a turning point in the negotiations with U.S. soccer. Uh, uh, so uh, let's jump to that one, and uh, you can tell everybody what what they've what they've reached here because I think it is a turning point. Yeah, definitely. And there's been um, this has kind of been ongoing for quite a while. So this is the U.S. soccer's women's soccer team, um, their legal case against U.S. soccer. Um, and they're asking for um, equal pay. Um, and it was rejected, I think it was back in May, which seems a really long time ago now, but it doesn't seem that long. Um, but it was rejected essentially because of the kind of working conditions that they'd... So they, it was kind of deemed that they'd accepted a certain... Um, how would you describe it? It was that it they'd kind of accepted... The pay that they were receiving if that makes sense yes from from the settlement from from the contract that they had previously yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the contract that they had yeah it kind of deemed separate pay to how the men would get paid essentially um but they have now managed to resolve the players outstanding claims about um working conditions um so the equal pay um, case is still returning to court because the uh, US women's soccer team appealed it so it is going back to court um, but they have managed to um, settle the working conditions which I think is um, really really important um, but yeah that is to say it doesn't address the equal pay claims um, so it will I think now that issue is out of the way it means they can really focus on um going on with with the equal pay um so yeah that's really positive news but the fight isn't quite over yet so yeah it's going to be i think uh, more and more countries are giving their women's teams equal pay as well so i think u.s soccer is is having less and less um to stand on really yeah 
I think so. So we'll progress there and we'll keep you posted here, of course, on the show every week. Oh, well, we are taking a break over the holidays. We'll come to that in just a moment. But I wanted to also draw your attention to the rest of the news that we've uh, got included on the website for every week. Um, we do include news from the Women's Sports Business Newsletter. Our friend Elise LaHoy there um, distributes that newsletter every week. It's a roundup of mostly national news over here in the U.S. So um, there's a lot more stories there with links to them on the website at wisports.com. Just look for the Wisports desk. So, yeah, we uh, we do jam it in here. And as I said, we've got more stories we're going to carry over to next week because uh, there's a lot more to them, and I'm sure we'll have a lot more before we uh, round out the year. As I said, we've just got another episode to go. I think we're on 47 this time, are we, Nancy? And Yeah, uh, one more before one, the Christmas break. One more before we take a break over the holidays. Um, but we will still collect the news for you, so when we come back in January, we'll be all singing and all dancing because we'll have a lot more stories for you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, but we want to come to our interview this week, and that, as I said earlier in the show, is a, a revisit of an interview that Shannon Miller, the ice hockey coach, did on her show, Hockey Talk. Uh, and that, has, I have to say, has a lot of really terrific content. There's some great coaching tips there from Shannon and some wonderful interviews with uh, leading players and coaches. And that's all hockey talk again on wisports.com. But this conversation with was, was, uh, the U.S. player, Olympian, three-time medalist, Casey Bellamy. Casey is a poet, a member of the USA national team and Olympic team, and currently a professional women's hockey player. Casey has earned one Olympic gold and two silver, seven gold medals at world championships and one silver. Casey played collegiate hockey and graduated from the University of New Hampshire, attending two Frozen Fours in her four years at UNH. Casey, welcome and congratulations on winning gold at the recent international tournament, Four Nations Cup. Thank you and thank you for having me. So Casey, you're a very accomplished athlete, very accomplished human being, and just recently you have the accomplishment of being a published poet. We're going to get into your creativity a little bit later in this conversation and your poetry book that just recently came out. But I want to start with the Four Nations Cup. You were recently in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, competing for Team USA at the Four Nations Cup. Team USA won gold. Talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, definitely. It was an amazing experience. And I think every time you go into a tournament as a team that you have a goal of, you know, coming out there and winning a gold medal. And I think for us, we had new coaching staff and it was kind of this rebuilding year, kind of the beginning quad going into the next four years leading up to the next Olympics. And I really thought it was a successful tournament. We had a great pre-camp in Chicago and I think for women's hockey as a whole, it was a very competitive tournament, having Canada, Finland, Sweden, and the USA. And I think it's just been great building as a sport as a whole. So typically, those are the top four teams in the country, in the world. In, you know, Finland, Canada, USA, Sweden, top four teams in the world. Obviously, as Canada, US gets better, the other countries also get better. So a lot of people will say, well, the gap hasn't really closed, but the, the product has gotten better and better. You guys are much better athletes. I, I believe the coaches are better. I was there. I witnessed the event. I thought it was fabulous. How did you feel about the level of competition amongst those four countries? I definitely think it's improving. I think um, 
you know, over the years that Finland has done a really good job improving. But I think that this tournament was a great tournament for Sweden. And I think just the IIHF as a whole does a good job at bringing players from Canada and the U.S. over to Europe and try to help bring those other countries up to the kind of level that we're striving for. And um, I was a part of that, I'd say like 10 years ago, we went to Slovakia and it was a big tournament that we helped develop all the other countries and show them kind of what we do as programs on and off the ice to try and, like I said, bring those other countries up. And I think it's been working over the last couple of years. Yeah, and interestingly enough, players from uh, many different countries have played together on many different college teams as well as women's pro teams. We're going to get to how you feel about playing with the Canadians in a minute. I first want to ask you, why did you choose to come to Calgary and play in the CWHL? Uh, you know, that it's a great question, and it was probably, now looking back, one of the best decisions that I've made. It was something that I wanted to do to meet new people, um, play with new people on the ice. And uh, coach, I think that you were actually a big reason why I chose Calgary because I played against you in college and just kind of you have that, that legendary status of the success that you've had at the college level. And I deep down knew if you were being able to come and coach a professional team with um, players in the national team caliber that I would improve as a player and a person and every single day would be um, exciting and fun. So it's been like that and it's been very successful thus far. And it's like I said, the best decision I've made. Oh, well, that's awesome. Thank you, Casey. Well, we're certainly ha happy to have you here in Calgary and in Canada in the CWHL and on the Calgary Inferno. Now, you've been playing for Team USA for a long time. You've been playing against the top Canadian players uh, at college and then, of course, with Team USA, against Team Canada for many years at many different events. Now you're playing with some of the top Canadian players from Team Canada on the Calgary Inferno. How does that feel to be playing with them? It's, it's such a unique situation, and I think that that was all also a main reason I chose to come to Calgary to be able to play with players of that caliber and just to get to know them as not just you know players I play against but people and it's so funny because we joke around you know in the locker room on the ice in Calgary and then when we played against each other at the recent Four Nations it was honestly just so fun playing against each other Johnny and I would be on the ice laughing Blair and I would be on the ice laughing and it was like we try and keep it serious obviously you put that jersey on you put the helmet on and your enemies but it, it was just it was kind of special just to see um, how we would interact after getting to know each other for the first couple of months in Calgary and it's it's been nothing but um, an honor to play with them and get to know them as people yeah and obviously when you put your jersey on to uh, represent your respective country you're competing as hard as you can you both want to win and you're giving it your all but I love the fact that you guys can smile at each other and appreciate the friendships and relationships that you have because they do cross boundaries and they will be there forever so I appreciate your attitude I really think uh, people with that attitude really help grow the global game and we keep the perspective on that we're all human beings so that's good. You're one you're one of the funnest players I've coached, Casey Bellamy, I can tell you that. You're always smiling, you're always having a good time. Thanks, coach. So Casey, you played at the University of New Hampshire. You went to the Frozen Four twice when you were there. What is uh one of your most memorable NCAA games? Oh boy. Well, coach, ironically, I would have to say uh, the Frozen Four when we played uh, University of Minnesota Duluth in that 2008 uh, semifinal game. I'll never forget it, and I think that it really brought it into perspective for me, like hockey and the sport of a goaltender can really win a game for you. I think the shots were like 50-12, and you guys, I think, won by a goal, and it was just it was an incredible game. Um, but like I said, I, I really think it brought into perspective that, you know, game, these, this hockey game is about inches and it can go either way, no matter if you're playing like a scrimmage or you're at the highest level playing in the biggest game of your career. But it, it was really fun and it was an amazing experience for um, our program and kind of helped put UNH on the map. And then you guys went on to win the Frozen Four that year, national championship. 
Yeah, that really was a remarkably different game. Uh, UNH, your team totally dominated my team. We could hardly get out of our zone. Fortunately, we had one of the best goaltenders in the world, Kim Martin. Like you said, she stood on her head. Uh, you guys couldn't break her. You couldn't beat her. And I remember being on the bench, literally saying to my team, don't worry about it. Just relax. Just get there to get the rebounds. When she kicks them out, go down and, and attack. And their goalie's cold. And so it only takes one shot to win this game. And that's pretty much what happened. Um, I did feel bad for you guys. You had an amazing team. Like, you were very impressive. You guys had possession for most of the game. You had a great attack. You were full of, loaded with talent. And I, I did. I literally felt bad for you because I felt that you guys deserved to win that game and you likely would have won uh, the NCAA championship that year. And our the good news is our team went on to the next game and everybody showed up and played that next game and Kim Martin didn't have to save us that much. Uh, and we dominated Wisconsin, beat them for nothing and won the national championship. So that was, uh, I agree, you guys put UNH on the map that year. I was very impressed with your team. Thank you. And congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Many years later. <laughs> I know. So, Casey, you've competed at three Olympic Games, eight world championships, two NCAA championships. There's not many athletes on the planet uh, from any country in any sport, male or female, that have those kind of accolades behind their name. You're still one of the best players in the game today. What does it take to keep enjoying the game and to remain one of the best in the world? Oh, coach, I appreciate that. Um, I think I've learned a lot over the last four or five years playing on the national team, uh, really focused and honed in on my mental game because I think that that's one of the most important things that you can do because if you ever have any doubts in your mind, then you you cannot be the best player that you can be uh, when you step on the ice. And I, I think doing that just really helped me with my preparation and everything that I do and just trusting in that. And then I kind of took a step back going into this last Olympics, um, losing in 2010 and then losing in 2014. I kind of wanted to go into it with a mindset of play for that little girl that first stepped on the ice and that loved the game and that's how I kind of played in the last Olympics. I, I tried to smile as much as I could and just trusted everything I did beforehand and as we did as a team. And it was probably the most fun Olympics and the most fun just time on the ice that I had. And, uh, you know, we came out with a gold medal, obviously, but I think I'll, I'll never forget just how I felt in my jersey every single game, loving the game and the passion that I still have for it at this age. Oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful to hear. So you have a really interesting connection with Brienne Decker. <laughs> she played at Wisconsin, but plays on Team USA as your teammate on Team USA is your teammate with the Calgary Inferno. Explain that connection with Decker. Oh yeah, we're besties, and everyone knows it. Everyone knows we're best friends to to a point where it's annoying, and we understand that. But we're just like sisters, and we can bicker with each other and be fine. Five minutes later, we can tell each other exactly how we feel on the ice, off the ice. I can approach her about anything, but she's a special player. And when you have a best friend and teammate of that caliber, and you can be able to to step on the ice and um, be be real with each other and um, be honest with each other and tell each other, you know, anything and everything. And um, kind of like guys out there, you know, you yell at each other one shift, but then the next shift you're fine. And, you know, you're going home and talking about the game and your best friends. But it's just a, it's a special thing, Brianna, coming on the team. I think we've been playing for like seven, eight years together and seeing her grow as not just a, hockey player but as a person and her maturity level it's her maturity level is getting getting better but it's been fun <laughs> to watch her watch her grow um not just as a teammate but as a person well you two are interesting i can tell you that uh i agree you guys are really good friends you have this sixth sense about you when you're out on the ice to be able to find each other but you certainly call each other out on stuff that you don't like when you come to the bench and it's entertaining <laughs> for all of us but you're both competitors i mean you're great friends and you're great competitors and i think you inspire a lot of people uh, on our team i imagine on team usa and i would imagine young girls around the world so an interesting fact casey bellamy you just published your own poetry book. Will you please tell us the title of that book and what inspired you 
to do it? Um, yeah, it's the title is Unbroken Heart of Gold. And thank goodness we finally won a gold medal because I, I kind of based it around that. And not many poems in there are about hockey. There's a few of them, but... The inspiration of my book, I, I started writing poetry about seven, eight years ago. I don't know why it kind of just came to me with experiences that I've been through in my life with relationships and just family and hockey and friends. And I just started writing and I've never kind of stopped. And over the last couple of years, I, I told myself that I wanted to write a poetry book one day and I didn't care if it made any money or whatnot. I just had this passion and I wanted to show the world kind of what I had to say. And it's just, it's a unique thing. And I, I love it. I love that I did it. And it's the support that I've gotten from it has been incredible. And um, yeah, it's on Amazon if you want to buy it. It's it's pretty intense, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I love I love that I did it. So Unbroken Heart of Gold by Casey Bellamy on Amazon, and it's a book of poetry. Casey, I have read your poetry book. I think it's fabulous, and it certainly gave me a little more insight into you, which will help me be a better coach for you and bring out the best in you. So congratulations on this accomplishment. It's unique for a, a hockey player to do something like this, and I think quite incredible. Thank you, Coach. So, Casey, let's end with a fun fact about yourself. Oh, fun fact. Well, this is kind of boring, but at the same time, funny. I got my license when I was 22 years old, and it's it's pretty funny because who, who wants to get their license at that age? I think it was because I went to prep school. I didn't need a car then, and then I went to UNH where I just took public transportation everywhere, and I didn't need a car. And then when I would come home in the summers, my grandmother lived with us, and she would just drive me everywhere. And it was kind of special because I... I got to build that relationship with my grandmother and uh it, it, looking back now she passed away a few months ago and um I don't regret it for a second that I got my license at 22 because of those times that we shared together I appreciate that Casey thank you so much for being a guest on the show today thanks coach thanks for having me and I should say that you can get Casey's book on Amazon is called uh, the, 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 her book of poetry. It's Unbroken Heart of Gold, collection of poems, and it's twelve ninety nine in paperback. So there's a plug for Casey. And I'm going to try and catch up with her too, Nancy, and see what else she's doing these days uh, because she clearly leads a, an interesting life off the ice. So we'll, we'll do that at some point. Um, okay, how's the running going? Yeah, I haven't actually been out much this week because it's been really cold it's been freezing um and the gyms have opened again so i've gone to the gym more so i haven't been out this week but i think i've got two days off uh tomorrow and friday so i think i'm gonna um brave the cold good go out tomorrow excellent excellent uh, wrap up and uh, yeah make sure uh, you refuel when you get back because i'm reminded that how many calories more calories you burn when it's colder um, I've been reminded when I, I go on the bike. Mm. Yeah, I do, um, just to keep warm. <clears throat> so I suppose that makes yeah. a lot of sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Now, I've had to resort to the balaclava under the biking helmet. It is cold. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we, we keep on kicking on. Um, and we we do have the cavalry coming over here as well. You have the, the cavalry has arrived, doesn't it, in the UK? Yeah. Um, yeah, people started getting vaccinated here yesterday. So it's all go here. Um, I personally, I'd be I'm very far down the priority list. So I don't think I'll be getting vaccinated anytime soon. But yeah, as long as the most vulnerable are getting vaccinated, then yeah, it's definitely a massive positive step forward certainly is um like likewise it's probably going to be late spring before i get uh, lining up there for it but uh, it is a, a ray of hope that we needed but now as we get into the winter and <clears throat> face you know a difficult winter because as you said most people are not going to get that vaccination until the well into the new year so uh, yeah at least we're protecting our most vulnerable um, the elderly and and the vital healthcare workers. You know, every time I look at the news and my heart goes out to them, Nancy, because the, the, the job they're doing is just extraordinary. Um, and, and and I know they're, they're wearing a little bit thin over here because, you know, we're, they're maxing out at hospitals, both in terms of resources and, uh, and the casualties, the patients that are coming in testing positive. So a really, really, really tough time. 
I'm going to play out this week with Paula Van Hissenhoven, our Colombian musician friend. She uh, also has a lot more um, songs I've recently discovered in English, which our English-speaking audience will appreciate. Now, this is a cover story, a cover song that she did of Stevie Wonder's Superstition. So uh, I'm going to let her play us out. But before we go, just remind everybody where they can find you and read you on social media and online, Nancy. Yep. So my um, Twitter handle is at Nancy underscore Gillen. Um, and all my articles can be found on inside the games.biz. Um, so yeah, it's all there really. It's all there. All right. And of course we're at wisports.com and at wisports wherever you get your social media and also uh, wherever you get your podcasts, just look for wisports and do check us out on TikTok because Maggie's been doing an awesome job on TikTok for us. So wonderful videos uh, right there. Um, get telling you what's happening at um, wisports on the other podcasts. So check us out on TikTok as well these days. All right. Well, um, that's it till next week. One more show before the end of the year, Nancy, and we'll be giving a everybody a final roundup of the news so join us next week for episode 48 the final one in season two of the Sports desk with me chris stafford and my co-host nancy gillen from inside the games nancy it's always great to catch up with you and i always appreciate your roundup of the news you do an awesome job thank you thank you well thank you for letting me co-host as well because it's always a lot of good fun till next week goodbye for now your face and hands